Friends, my name's uh, Nick. It is such a pleasure to be gathering with you today to worship God, to hear from his word, to, to enjoy some fellowship and supper together after the service. If I haven't met you, I'd love to meet you. Um, and thanks for, yeah, it's, it's been a big week for us. Uh, thank you for your prayers and support. Um, uh, I really appreciate that. Um, this week has been a big week internationally. Uh, in international criminal law syndicates, conspiracies. Um, uh, do people know about Operation Ironside? Big deal. So for those who don't know, um, uh, a couple of cops or like FBI agents or something few, uh, four years ago came up with the idea of creating an app for encrypted communication um, and they put it on the dark web. So then all these criminals who thought we need to find a way to communicate and do all our criminal planning uh, through an encrypted uh, messaging service. And so they found this app and they started using it. I think it was called a non or something like that. And um, little did they know that it was actually created by the FBI and they were listening to every word they were saying. Um, and then just on Tuesday, this four-year operation uh, came to, came to uh, um, I guess, the end or the, the climax of it. And uh, across the world... Uh, there were um, arrests made and drug seeds. And just in Adelaide, apparently uh, 96 drug dealers and criminals were arrested on Tuesday. And, and apparently what I've heard is um, four tons, not kilograms, four tons of drugs seized. Um, it's massive. Big, big deal. But it, it, uh, I know this. I only found out last night because I was talking um, to uh, my family and uh, my wife visited um, my mum's place on Tuesday, and uh, when she went, there was all these cars everywhere. She thought, oh, is someone having a party or something like that? And she went in, um, uh, saw my parents, and left. And then later on, we realized they weren't just any cars. They were uh, undercover police cars uh, as they were searching uh, the close neighbors of my parents, uh, their place. And they found a whole heap of stuff, and they were subsequently arrested. So that was a bit close to home, all right? Uh, you know, my, my parents knew them, and, and uh, they were friendly with them, not too friendly. Um, but it's a bit close to home. And uh, what, um, the, what we heard last week in our series in this Life of David uh, is, is another scandal that hit a bit close to home, if we're honest. Uh, King David, so the, so the big role model of the Old Testament, uh, caught in a scandal. Not caught in a scandal. He was, um, he was responsible for it. the rape of Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah to cover it up. The king of Israel. He was close to home, close to home for Israelites, close to home for Christians, the, the, the role model of the Old Testament. And even more, what we're going to see today in our passage today, it becomes close to home for David as his own sin is laid out before him and shown for what it is, all the darkness in him brought to the light. And I wonder, what would you do if that happened to you? If all of your darkness and sin, what you thought, what you did, what you said, would be brought to light, exposed. What would you think? What would you feel? What would you do? How do we deal 
with our sin? That's the big question of tonight. Now, I hear a bit of crackling. I might do that. Thank you. All right. Oh, that's much, much better. Oh. So we're going to see uh, the follow on the story of uh, David. So last week we saw him. Yeah, this really dark, um, complex, evil thing, where the the King David, the 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 man after God's own heart, he he saw something that he wanted. And he took it. He raped Bathsheba and then he killed Uriah to cover it up and married Bathsheba to cover it up. And he thought he got away with it. But God knew what he had done. And God was angry. And rightfully so. And so um, what we see tonight is in in this story of of Nathan that we're going to progressively read. Uh, we see uh, David grappling with his sin, and, and there's four things that happen. He's confronted by the reality of his sin. He repents. He has to deal with the repercussions of his sin, the consequences, and there's restoration. So let's look at the first thing, the reality of sin. So God is aware of what happened. David thought he got away, but he hadn't. God was angry, and he sent Nathan, the prophet Nathan, to David. Excuse me. Now, poor Nathan. Uh, this prophet who has to go to the king, excuse me, the king of Israel uh, to to rebuke him and convict him of his sin. Like how how's Nathan going to do that to call the king of Israel out, uh, the king who has all authority over all of Israel? Now Nathan does it really uh, in a really wise way by telling a story, telling a parable. So if you have Bibles, open them up to uh, two Samuel chapter twelve. And do uh, stay there because we're going to be uh, looking down on this narrative quite a lot to, to, to get caught up in it, to see what's happening and what it's, it's saying. And it's also going to be on the screen. So 2 Samuel chapter 12, and the Lord sent Nathan to David and he came to him and said, there were two men in a certain city. One was rich and the other poor. The rich man had many flocks and herds. But the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up. He raised it up. It grew up with him and with his children. He used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now there was a traveler who came to the rich man, and the rich man was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. So he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Now, this is just a story that Nathan told, but you can hear the injustice of it. This rich man who had everything took the one thing, the one thing the poor man had. He took it, took that lamb and killed it for his guest. And David is outraged. He is angry about this, and rightfully so. From verse 5, David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, this man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he has done this thing, because he has no pity. 
David is angry. He calls it out. This is an injustice. Justice needs to be served. This man deserves to die. And Nathan says, David, you are that man. You are that man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if this was too little, I would add to you much more. God gave him everything. He was, he was the rich man. God had given him everything, gave him the kingdom. He delivered him from the hand of Saul. He gave him uh, wives already, uh, but, but David still wanted more. And Nathan says, why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. King David, who is meant to uphold the law and to teach the law and to write the law uh, once a year in his own hands, he scorned it. He rejected it. He despised it. King David, who was to protect his people, betrayed them, took uh, from his people and killed them to cover it up, killed Uriah to cover it up. King David, who was to be a man after God's own heart, was evil, did evil. And it it highlights the, the issue at the heart of it. It's not so much what David did, not the actions he did against Bathsheba and against Uriah, as horrible as they were, the core issue is that he despised the law of the Lord. To reject God's law is to reject God's rule. And God hands David over to the punishments of that rejection. Verse 10, now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you've despised me and taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own house and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the light of the sun for you did it in secret, but I will do all these things before all Israel and before the sun. There are consequences to his actions. The sin, the, the, the betrayal and the sexual sin that he, he perpetrated against Bathsheba, it, it repeats itself within his own family. His, um, these, these punishments come to pass in the later chapters of 2 Samuel and, and, and later on in 1 Kings. David's son Amnon, Absalom, and Adonijah, they were all put to death by the sword. David was driven out of Jerusalem by his own son Absalom when he attempted to seize his father's throne. And Absalom, uh, right after that, took David's concubines and, and raped them in public after he captured Jerusalem. So this sin, this, this, this evil, this darkness kept on perpetrating throughout his, his ancestors. It's all coming from the rejection of God's law that David had done. And even deeper, to all of this is these these punishments these uh, these consequences are reminiscent of the the curses that God promises for to the Israelites if they were to reject the covenant. See in Deuteronomy, which is uh, the book um, 
that Moses writes, big, big speech on the edge of the promised land. The Israelites are about to enter into the promised land and they've been delivered from Egypt. Uh, Moses has this massive, long, a whole series of sermons to teach them how they are to live as God's people in God's land and, and teach them how to live as God's covenant people, his special people. He's established a relationship with them and given them a law to follow, a way to follow. And he, he, he renews the covenant and says, if you were to obey the covenant and remain faithful to the covenant, there will be all these blessings for you, prosperity and riches, and you will be a, a, a nation that will be the envy of the world. But he says, if you reject the covenant, if you disobey my law, you'll be handed over to a whole heap of curses. And some of those curses uh, is the same as what is the punishments that David uh, has to endure, endures. And it's God handing over handing Israel over to their depravity that they've chosen. If you want to go that way, if you want to reject my law and go against my way, well, I hope you know just how horrible that is. To reject God's law is to reject God's rule. And to reject God's rule, to turn away from the God who created the world, the good God who loves and, and is had, had called out Israel as his own people, to reject that is to turn away from good and turn to what is evil, what is wrong. It's not just, what, what's at the core here is not just an issue of ethics or uh, what they do, what David did, but the issue of his heart. David despised God's law and there was consequences for his rejection. I think we too can can forget that there are that there are consequences to our sin and the seriousness of what we choose to do and, and how we what we do with our hands, our thoughts, our minds, our words. We think it doesn't matter. You know, it's this small thing, it doesn't really matter. But it does. We think it won't hurt anyone, it's just me by myself, behind closed doors. It won't hurt anyone, but it does. We think God doesn't care, but he does. We think we'll get away with it, but we won't. We think God won't do anything about it, but he will. Using our power and authority to manipulate others to get our own way, indulging uh, a lust with an extended look at something or, or to seek it out uh, on porn or, or somewhere else, to uh, use sly words or actions to tear someone down and build ourselves up. All that is sin and, and so much more is sin and it is wrong. It goes against God's law and it's evil, calling it out for what it is. Let's be honest. I think the church needs to be reminded of that. I think the church has gone complacent with sin. It's okay. It doesn't matter as long as, long as uh, God loves everyone. Now, I'm not saying that the church needs to call it out in our culture and point the finger out there. Those people are sinning. That's horrible. I think the church needs to be honest about our own sin in our own house. The church 
Uh, there's been spiritual abuse. There's been sexual abuse. There's been abuse of power. There's been a whole range of different sins within the church and how quick we are to try and cover it up lest the church be dishonored or shamed or we lose the effectiveness of our witness. But of course, the opposite's happened. We're quick to cover it up where we should be bringing it out into the light. Have we forgotten how offensive and obscene sin is to God? Do we need to be reminded of the reality of sin in our own lives? Is there something that we are carrying, that we are doing, that we need to be reminded that it's sin, it's evil. It is eating us away. It is harmful to us. Do we need to be confronted with the reality of sin? David is confronted by the reality of his sin. He's, he's shown for what it is as evil, as unjust, and he deserves punishment. He deserves to die. He said it himself. And having been confronted by the reality of his sin, David repents. He repents. He says to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. Now, in most Hebrew manuscripts or some Hebrew manuscripts, there's a little gap that comes after that sentence. And, and scholars suggest that that's actually a cross-reference to Psalm 51. And Psalm 51 says this is a psalm that David wrote uh, after Nathan came to him um, and David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Excuse me. And so this psalm is either the words that David used uh, to confess to Nathan, and we just see the shorthand in 2 Samuel, or later on David reflected and wrote these words down. Either way, this psalm shows us David's heart in that moment of repentance. So we're going to turn there, Psalm 51, if you flick over, and we're going we're to quickly go through it and draw out three things, three aspects of David's repentance that we can follow. The first one is being honest about our sin. Let's read from verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I am sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. David is honest about his sin. Now sure, he sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against Uriah. But at the heart of it, he's honest. He's sinned against God. He's done evil in his sight. And he, he, he acknowledges that he deserves judgment. He deserves that verdict. And I think when we confess and we repent, the first step is being honest about our sin. God, I've messed up. I've done wrong. I've rejected your law and your rule. And it's to do that without any ifs, buts, or when. Because we, we're always, we're, we are excellent at justifying our own sin, of excusing our own actions and behaviors. 
You know, I, I, oh, I said all those mean things, but that, that's just the way I am. That's just my personality. You know, I've, I've looked at those things. I've looked at porn, but that's just because our, our culture is sex-saturated, and I don't, I don't have any other option. You know, I'm always, I've, I, I say those mean things to him, but it's only because he, it's only done when he says mean things to me. We confess, but we, we caveat with ifs, buts, and whens. We should be honest and take full responsibility. I am a sinner. I have done wrong. I deserve judgment for that. Being honest about our sin and real about it. And the next step is to ask for cleansing. So let's read from verse 7. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. David says, God, I have sinned. I have done wrong. Please wash that away. Cleanse me. Change my heart. Again, David's identifying the core issue here is that his heart is corrupt. It's broken. He is chasing after evil things. And he needs God to come in and to cleanse him and save him and create in him a new heart. And so when we confess, we're honest about our sin, but then we ask God, cleanse me, save me, create in me a new heart. Give me a heart that, that, that chases after you, God. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And the last step is turning back to God. So being honest about our sin, asking God to cleanse, turning back to God. Let's read the rest of the psalm. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God my Savior and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, O God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem, that you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. David turns his heart back to God. He chases after God. We were created not to indulge our sinful desires and to go our own way and do what we think is right, but we were created to praise and to worship the God who made us and made all things. And David returns, having been renewed, given a new heart to his core purpose, to bring praise and to teach others uh, to turn to God's, uh, God's way. God, I will praise you. Before my heart was chasing after the fleeting things of this world, but now you've given me a new heart. And so my heart is chasing after you. Now notice it doesn't say, and go undo the things that you have done. Now we need to deal with the consequences. We'll talk about that soon. But in order to be forgiven, in order to be restored, God doesn't expect us to do the work of making it right. You know, God says he doesn't desire sacrifices. David says, you don't, don't delight in a sacrifice or I'll bring it. 
You don't take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. When we've sinned and we've confessed and we've repented, we've asked God to cleanse us. What God wants is not for us to work to make it better. What God wants is us for, for us to return to him. He doesn't want our works. He wants us. He doesn't want what you have to offer him. He wants you. He wants you. He loves you. And no matter what you've done or, or how bad it might be, God loves you. And he wants, he wants you to be real about your sin and ask for repentance, ask for forgiveness and cleansing. And he will because he wants you. You're a child of God and he wants you. David repents, and God forgives him, but it's messy. It's messy because there's repercussions uh, for his sin. This is where the passage gets really hard. If you flick back to 2 Samuel, verse 14. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. The child that's born to you will die. There are consequences for David's sin. This child is the result of David's rape of Bathsheba. This child is the result of David uh, scorning God's law. And it's not saying the child is guilty. It's not saying that the child is being punished. But David is being punished. There are serious consequences to our sin, to David's sin. And the child dies. Now, this is not to say that every death or illness is a direct result of sin, but it does tell us that there are consequences of our sin that we need to deal with. And even though David is forgiven, he's free from the condemnation. He's not cut off from God, like God restores him and and he's not uh, cut off from God. He's free from the condemnation, but he's still got to work through the consequences. So there's something he has to deal with, to endure and reckon with. And the son falls sick. And if we keep reading from uh, second half of 15, and the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David and became sick. He became sick. David therefore sought God on behalf of the child. And David fasted, fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, behold, the the child was yet alive. We spoke to him and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to him, the child is dead? He may do himself some harm. But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, is the child dead? And they said, he is dead. David falls into a deep depression, dealing with the consequences of his sin, reckoning uh, for his actions. And he calls out to God to save uh, the son, but the son dies. And what happens 
when the son dies? Does David uh, spiral even deeper into depression? Does he lash out against his servant? Does he separate himself entirely from, from God? No. Have a look at verse 20. Then after his servants told him that his son is dead, David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. He went into his own house, and when he asked, they set food before him, and he ate. So when there was nothing else to do, the son had died. David went into the house of the Lord to worship. When the child died, it didn't, David didn't let that drive a deeper wedge between him and God, but he goes into the house of God. He draws near to God, and he worshiped because he got, got, David knows that God is sovereign and God is just and he's right. And even though he might not know what is going on, he trusts in God's love and power and sovereignty. And when the child is sick, absolutely, David pleads on behalf of the child. But when the child dies, he's not in despair that God is out of control. He's confident that God is in control. He can't bring the child back from the dead, but he can put his trust in the Lord and he worships. Because that's the power of worship, of praise. It's lifting our focus away from ourselves and our situation and our problems and lifting our eyes to God and His power and His purpose. Have a look at what David says to his servants. His servants said to him, verse 21, What is this thing you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you arose and ate food. He said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me and that the child may live. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. David accepts the consequences of his sin. He confesses, but then he, he deals with the consequences. And it's a journey. It is a tough journey. As a parent, I, I with, with a sick child, like, I get that. I understand David's anguish. And I admire his trust in God's sovereignty. You know, when we're dealing with the reality of sin and the consequences of sin, it might be consequences of our own sin, or it might be consequences of other sin. There's been injustice done against you, and that's caused issues that that are not your fault. Or it might be consequences of just being in the broken world that we, we live in that's broken because of sin. We, we plead to God to change, to, to do something about it. And when nothing happens, we assume that God isn't doing anything. And like David, absolutely, we should plead with God, pray hard. But absolutely, we should trust that God is powerful and he's working all things for the good of those who love him. Sin is evil, and the consequences of sin are hard to work through. And the solution is not to drive deeper into our sin and give ourselves over to it. It's not to uh, separate ourselves more from God. The only solution is to turn back to God, the only one who can heal, the only one who can save. And that's the point of this story. That there are consequences for our sin. 
And we deal with this a lot in our lives as Christians and as human beings. When we are forgiven, we are freed from the condemnation, but we've got to deal with the consequences of our sin. There's something to work through. So take the example of someone who's, who has who a substance abuse addiction. They come in here and they, they confess and genuinely repent. They're honest about their sin. They ask for cleansing. They turn back to God. And they're forgiven. They are freed from the condemnation. They are, they're no longer are they separated from God. God loves them and he restores them. But they've got a, they're not going to, you know, their, their addiction is not going to end overnight. That's something that they need to work through. And, and we would work through, through that with them. If someone were to come in here and confess to murdering someone, we, and, and that would be a, and a genuine repentance. They, they're honest about their sin. They ask for cleansing. They turn back to the Lord. Absolutely, they are forgiven. The, the condemnation is taken away, but they've got to deal with the consequences. And that might mean prison. Probably would mean prison for murder. It's dealing with the consequences of that. David's, um, David's sin was of a sexual nature. For, for Christians in the 21st century, the, the big issue for us is porn and, and sexualization of, of media and, and the world around us. And I talked to a lot of people, most, well, almost entirely guys, about um, porn addiction. And they come and they, they confess. I'm struggling with this. They confess with a genuine confession. They repent. They're honest about their sin. They turn back to the Lord. And they wonder why they're still struggling with it. Because there's, there's a lot going on. It's not something that, that God will heal necessarily straight away. But there are consequences. You know, as we're indulging our, our sinful desire, desires, we're giving over to those desires. We're creating neural pathways to, to feed that need to be broken. And we're becoming addicted. So when we confess, absolutely, we are freed from the condemnation. We are forgiven. We are not defined by, by, by that, that guilt and that shame. We are a child of God. But there, there are consequences to deal with. There's, it's a journey of recovery. And that might mean uh, seeing a counselor. It might mean having accountability, removing technology, seeking support. We are free from the condemnation, but not free from the consequences. That's something we need to work through. I think just calling that out and acknowledging that is really helpful. And if any, anyone here is struggling with that and wants to talk about it, please come see me. I, I'm speaking to a, a few different people about this issue. And I, I, it is an important issue that you can find freedom. You can, uh, you can stop. You can break that oppression. Jesus can break that oppression over you. And we can do it together. So do please come speak to me. Now the point of this, that there are consequences uh, for our sin, there's a deeper point. I would go as far to say the, the, the reason that there are consequences for sin and even the reason that there are curses uh, for the covenant is not to push people away from God, but actually to draw us to return to him. The goal is not retribution, but restoration. Look at what happens next in our passage. God reveals his heart for David. 
Verse 24, then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and he went in to her and lay with her and she bore a son and he called his name Solomon and the Lord loved him and he sent, and sent a message by Nathan the prophet. So he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. Now Jedidiah means beloved by the Lord. And chapter 11, a story about David and Bathsheba, that ends with God being displeased, with God being angry against David. The end of our passage today ends with God loving David. Now, the opposite of God's love is not wrath, is not judgment. In fact, that's required for God's love. Because God judges so that we would return to him. The opposite of love is not judgment. The opposite of love is indifference. If God were to do nothing and just hand us over to the way that we think is right, where in reality that is just pushing us away, further and further away from God. There are consequences so that we might return to God, that we might repent and be restored. God's desire is to restore us. The goal is not retribution, but restoration. Solomon is a sign of God's love for David. And even more than that, Solomon is a sign of God's love for Israel. Because God promised to David that he would have a, have a descendant who will be an eternal king. And if, if his son dies, that's obviously a compromise to that promise. But with another offspring, Solomon, through Solomon's line, we end up a King Jesus, the eternal king. God doesn't forsake David and God doesn't forsake Israel, even though they are constantly turning away from him, constantly rejecting his rule and rejecting his law. This story of David we see here is the story of Israel. And to go back to Deuteronomy, gosh, I tell you what, my theory about the Bible at the moment is all roads lead back to Deuteronomy and forward to Jesus. So there's a little uh, interpretive key to the whole Bible. Anyway. When all, Deuteronomy 30, like listen to this. When all these blessings and curses that I've set before you come to you and you take them to heart, wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations. One of the major curses of Israel is that they would be exiled and taken away from the promised land of the presence of God. And God says, and when you and your children return to the Lord, repent, return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and all your soul according to everything I command today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all nations where he scattered you. Even if you had been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. He will bring you to the land that belongs to your ancestors and you will take possession of it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your ancestors. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and all your soul and live. The story of Israel, the story of David, is that when they return, God would restore them. And the story of the gospel, the story of the whole Bible, is, is human beings, us, all of us, who God created, we've rejected God. But when we repent, when we return to God, God desires that and he wants to restore us. And there's still, there's still consequences. There's still a punishment and a, a payment, that, a, a debt that needs to be paid. And that is why Jesus had to come, to come and pay the punishment, to bear God's wrath and anger, that we could be freed from that and be entirely uh, 
are chosen and changed by Jesus to be God's, God's people. Deuteronomy 30 talked about circumcising the Israel hearts. He's, he's talking about giving the Israelites a new heart. The same language that David uses in Psalm 51. It's the same language that Paul uses later on. Same similar language, that we are a new creation. We are, we are new. Repentance. You know, when we think about repentance, often we think it's, it's turning back to God. So let's, let's illustrate this spatially. If we're sinning and, and, and living, we're, we're on a path away from God. And sometimes we feel repentance means turning back and making our way back up the path to where we've come so that we're right with God again. You know, undoing what we've done. But true repentance, what the, what the Bible says is, we, you know, we are sinful and that's a bad thing. We're on the wrong path. But when we turn back to God, we're not turning back to a whole series of things we need to do in order to be right with God again. We turn and God is right there with his arms wide, ready to embrace us, ready to pick us up off that path and put us on a new path so that we could live according to his law, that we could live as God's children. God doesn't give us a second chance. He gives us a new life that we could be his people, that we could be his children. That's a story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. The prodigal son goes to his father and says, I wish you were dead. Give me, all, give me my inheritance. I'm going to go spend it elsewhere. And he, he does that. Son takes the money, goes and spends it uh, prodigally. Spends it, it all goes away. And he, he realizes the reality of his sin as he's in a pit, uh, lost everything, eating pig scraps. And he realized the reality of sin. He repents. He goes, I need to turn back and go back to my father. And I'll, I'll go work for him to pay off uh, the damage that I've done and the, 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 how I've insulted and offended him. And when he turns back to go back to his father, he doesn't see his father waiting at the gate, you know, looking at his watch with a list of jobs ready for the son to do. He sees the father chasing after him, running to greet him, to meet him. You know, an Israel, an honorable Israelite does not run in ancient Israel, but God runs to meet us wherever we are at. And maybe, maybe someone's here who's, who's never encountered the love of God, who's never uh, uh, repented or even heard about Jesus, or maybe um, you don't really understand this concept of sin, but if you really reflect deep down, the actions, the things that we do against the God who created it, it's offensive to God. The only way to be saved is through Jesus, through the work that Jesus did. And that's God's pursuit of you. He wants you to be saved. He wants you to be a child of God. And he sent his son. He came down to earth as a human being to endure a death on the cross so that you might be saved. And there might be people here who struggling with a sin. It could be a porn addiction. It could be a, a gossip. It could be a whole range of different sins that we're holding on to and, and unwilling to let go or unwilling to acknowledge. And it might be that we're, we are, are deeply ashamed of it. How could, how could God possibly forgive me? Or it might be that we're afraid of the consequences. These consequences are too much for me to handle. If people knew what I did behind closed doors, people knew what went on in my mind. 
But God desires restoration. He, he wants you. He doesn't want your sacrifices. He doesn't want what you might do. He wants you. You're a child of God and he wants you. You are free from condemnation. The punishment that we deserve has been taken by Jesus. And part of the role of the church, God's people, is to tell that, is to say that, that we, to declare God's forgiveness and actually make a space for confession. Now, this is something that our church does not do well. And we're figuring this out. And I, I, I've, I'm thinking about what we could change in order to, to establish this. And um, in other churches, there are like confessionals and, and corporate confessions and things like that, a space to actually bring before God uh, a confession, to ask for his forgiveness and then find support with dealing with the consequences. It's actually commanded in the Bible that we confess to each other. James 15, uh, verse, sorry, James 5, verse 16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. Confess to each other and, and declare to each other that you are forgiven. There is no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ so that you may be healed, so that together we could help you through those consequences. And those, so just to, to talk to those who might uh, want to confess, can I tell you, this is not a place of judgment. It is, it is the Lord's to judge. If you, if you come to me and you confess some sin or, or whatever, I'm not going to tell you how horrible a person you are. I'm going to tell you that you are loved by God and that he has, has, he's come from heaven to earth all the way to hell to save you, to free you from that sin. And you are loved. There are consequences of that sin, and I want to help you deal with that, work through that. The way to deal with sin is not to hide it in the darkest places in our hearts, but to bring it out in the light. John, uh, 1 John says, God is light. In him there is no darkness of all, at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. How do we deal with sin? We bring it out into the light. Let me tell you um, how that's worked out in my own life. There was a time uh, where I was addicted to porn. There was something I, I, a sin I indulged, and and I would say I was addicted. I wouldn't have said that back then, but reflecting back, I, I was addicted. I was caught into that, in the consequences, and uh, and it brought me incredible shame as a as a good Christian boy, and I had a lot of leadership positions and lots you know lots of um, respect within the church. If people knew what what I did, it was horrible. It was evil. It was evil. And I was um, there was one night I went to a um, youth alive rally. Um, it was a, like fifteen years ago or something, um, a long time ago. And uh, there was a preacher there, Reggie Dabbs. Does anyone know Reggie Dabbs? Yeah, it goes way back. Ooh, really funny guy. Uh, but anyway, and uh, I don't really remember much about his message, but I remember um, one illustration he used where he had a cup that was, that was revolting and disgusting and, 
and um, and I I saw that and I thought that's that's what I feel like that's me. And Reggie, uh, I can't remember exactly what he said, but he said, "This is the cup. This is us. This is what Jesus does." And he pours that cup into a clean cup, and then gets a new cup that is pure and clear and perfect. And I realized that I was not defined by my darkness, that I was free, I was forgiven. And that night, I woke, I got home, I woke my parents up and confessed to them that I was indulging uh, in pornographic material. And that was the hardest conversation of my life. I bet you can imagine. It was tough, but it was liberating to actually confess to someone, to bring this darkness out into the light. Now, I wasn't healed instantly. It was still a journey. Um, I, I, I met up with a couple of guys. I, I um, talked to my mentor about it. I had accountability partners. I had software on my computer that sent... Um, reports to my to my accountability partners of what websites I've been to so there was it was a journey it was a process but through God's power and his spirit I found freedom absolutely there's still temptation and struggle there but I freed him through the power of Christ and his Holy Spirit and if you're in that space you can too and it's not just porn. It's a whole range of different things. And um, I really need to wrap up. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, I, this is a big issue that I don't want to downplay or, or not give an opportunity for response. So in the next song, if, if you need to work this out, if you need to talk, talk to someone about this, I'll be up the front. Lee will be up the front. Um, or find someone nearby who you trust. Uh, um, Karen is here uh, as well. Um, uh, and talk to them. Say, can you pray with me? And you don't need to confess right there on the spot. But just start that conversation. And any time during the week, uh, except for my day off, but even then, um, any time, please contact me. If you want to talk, if you want to be freed from a sin, come speak to me or speak to your small group leader or speak to, to anyone in this room and, and uh, together confess that. Knowing that there's no judgment. Judgment belongs to the Lord and judgment has been taken by Christ. And there's support to, to deal with the consequences in this family, in this people, in this church. So how do we just deal with sin? We don't hide it in the darkest place of our hearts. We bring it out into the light. We remember the reality of sin. We repent by being honest about our sin, asking for cleansing and turning back to God. And there might be repercussions, might be consequences we have to work through, but ultimately they are so that we would turn back to God and be restored. So again, if you want to talk to someone, you want to pray, uh, Lee and I will be at the back, and Karen as well, if that's all right, um, and, or anyone, or talk to someone. Uh, don't, don't leave tonight without speaking to someone about it. Or don't let this week go on. Get in touch. I'd love to declare God's love for you and help you through that. Let's pray.
I should also say, just before I get there, there's also the role of elders. So Declan and Mike uh, and um, Craig, and then there's also Cam and um, Claire from the morning, and Mark. All the role of elders, part of that is to, is to be there to confess, uh, to confess to and help people um, realize their forgiveness they have in Christ and to work through the consequences. So do contact any of them or me if you want to. Let's pray for real now. God, I just, it's a big message, God, and I just pray uh, that you have sent out your word and you are doing your work in people's hearts. God, we, we want to be real about our sin, and I'm just going to give a moment here for us to think specifically about our own actions and our own thoughts, how we have rejected your law, rejected your rule. God, there are some here who may have never, uh, never been honest about their sin, never realized actually how horrible it, it is. And God, we just want to declare uh, that we repent, that we turn away from that, that we, we want to be honest about it. it is, we deserve judgment, but God cleanse us, chain, create in us a new heart. Thank you for the work that Jesus has done in dying and rise, rising again so that we too could die to ourselves and be given a new life. God, we want to we we live lives that reflect your holiness and your love and your character. And God, we just pray that you would help us work through the consequences of our sin. God, like, I pray for this community, that we be a community that's honest and real about sin, not hiding it, not covering it up, but actually being honest and real and, and, and open about it, not judgmental, but ready to support each other through that. And that others would look in and, and, and see how honest we are. And actually see how sinful we are. But that we are honest about that and we are recovering and being restored through that. God, may people look in and, and desire that honesty and, and sin. Uh, and and the, the honesty about sin and the restoration that comes through, for, through repentance and God's love and Jesus' work. And God, we, we just pray right now for anyone who is struggling with a hidden sin, a secret sin that is, that is uh, uh, eating them up inside. God, we pray that you would do your work by your Holy Spirit to bring that out into the light. Now, it doesn't need to be confessed to everyone, but it needs to be confessed to someone. That, that, that they could have support, that we could have support and, and help in dealing with those consequences of finding freedom through Jesus Christ and your Holy Spirit. God, we thank you so much for your love for us. We thank you so much for your love for Israel, your, your love for the church, your love for the whole world that you desire to, to be restored to you. We pray that your will would be done and that the, the people we love would be restored to you, that people across the world will be restored to you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.